You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. As we study John's gospel, we find ourselves in chapter 8, just going through the book over the course of about a year. And in God's providence, the timing is very, very interesting because this is Memorial Day weekend here in the States, which is where we celebrate and honor those who have given their lives so that we might have what? Freedom. That is the American word. Amen? Freedom. That is our word. Freedom is powerful. It evokes strong imagery. And if you're an American, you are pro-freedom. Amen? That's why whatever political party or candidate is running every year, freedom, 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 that is the constant refrain. And we celebrate our freedoms on Memorial Day. And if you miss it, we'll celebrate our freedoms again on the 4th of July weekend. These are holidays, supposed to mean holy days, where we set apart time to honor freedom. Now, what's curious in John chapter 8 today, it's a holiday that they are celebrating called the Feast of Booths. And it was a holiday dedicated to the celebration of freedom. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. God's people were were slaves in a nation called Egypt. They were not free. God freed them supernaturally, miraculously, a nation of a few million. And they got to go home to their promised land of Israel. And there they were free to worship God, which is what freedom truly is. It's freedom to live in relationship with God. And as a result, they created this holiday where every year, just like us, everybody gets off work, the school's all shut down, everybody gets together to celebrate, to honor, to remember freedom. And Jesus shows up and says, you're not free. And his word is very confrontational to them and to us because we live in the land of the free where people are not free. We live in the land of the free and we celebrate freedom And Jesus would tell us that perhaps we're not free. So Jesus says that the truth will set you free. John 8, 31, 32. Think of it this way. This is like Memorial Day weekend. This is like 4th of July. Everyone is together. It's a big public event. Jesus steps forth and here's what he teaches. So Jesus said to the Jews, those Hebrew people who had believed in him, if conditional qualifier, if right? Jesus is awesome. You can have your sins forgiven, live forever and go to heaven. If, if you believe in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says it all starts with receiving him. You're going to hear about receiving, reading, um, relating to him in terms of relationship and dealing with reality. So the first one, receiving him. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you received Jesus? That's the first thing. After you receive Jesus, you need to abide. That is ongoing, present tense, conditional in his word. So you receive Jesus. And then the next step is to have this new lifestyle, this new authority, this new revelation where you are reading God's word and abiding in God's word. And then this is in terms of relating to Jesus. He uses the language of disciples. 
In our day, you pick a school. My son, Zach, just graduated this week, and we're talking about his college and his major. Today, we pick a school, and that day, you picked a teacher. And you would ask the teacher, could you be my mentor? And then you would live with them, travel with them, eat with them, do life with them. It was a very close, intimate mentoring relationship. That's a disciple. And so what what it starts with is receive Jesus, read his word, and then relate to him as a disciple, and then deal with reality. And what he says is, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Christians believe that truth is that which corresponds with reality. Okay? It corresponds with, we live in a day where people are like, well, live by your truth. Your truth doesn't matter. Because there's only one truth. Let's say, and if we tend to do this in terms of practical but not spiritual things. So if I told you, let's say you go to the bank and you just deposited $10,000 and you went to the bank and they said, sorry, we don't show you have an account. You wouldn't say, well, that's your truth and I have my truth and you live by your truth and I'll live by my truth. You'd say, I get my 10,000 bucks or I'm burning this thing to the ground and we're both gonna be on YouTube. Things are gonna go bad. See, we live in a day when it comes to moral and spiritual things that you have your truth and you have your truth and you live by your truth and I have my truth. And reality is there is truth and reality is that which corresponds with truth. There are not multiple truths. There is truth. And this is where people will say, well, that's your truth and this is my truth and your truth works for you and my truth works for me. And God would ask, does anybody care about my truth and whether it works for me? And so truth is that which corresponds to reality. And we believe in this, right? So if I told you right now, I'm six foot four, you would say, no, I'm six foot four in my heart. You say, well, that doesn't count. We can't measure your heart. Well, who are you to judge me? I'm someone with a tape measure. I deal with reality. (laughs) Jesus says he's God. That's reality. Jesus says we're sinners. That's reality. Jesus says that heaven and hell determine our eternal destiny based upon whether or not we have a relationship with him. That's reality. And a lot of people say, I don't believe in reality. You will. You will stand before Jesus and his reality will be the only reality. And the sooner you deal with reality, the better you will be. So it is receiving Jesus, reading his word, relating to him, and then dealing with reality. And what happens is when this occurs, he says, you experience freedom. Freedom. There are three dimensions to freedom. There is internal, external, and eternal, okay? Now, these people, they have some measure, as we have some measure of external freedom, right? You were free to come here today. I'm free to teach the Bible. We're free to have assembly. We're free to have conscience of religion. We're free to study God's word. We have some measure of external freedom. The myth is that then we're free. There's also internal freedom. Some of you are bitter against people that have sinned against you. And as a result, you're in a prison called bitterness, not in the freedom of forgiveness. Some of you spiritually, you're not free. You have a false concept of God. You don't understand his love. You don't understand his grace. You don't understand his forgiveness. And as a result, you carry burdens that he doesn't want you to carry. You carry shame that Jesus already died for. You carry regret that God has already forgiven. You're not spiritually free. Some of you, you're not mentally free. There's things you've done or things that have been done to you that you're haunted by, you're tormented by. You're free externally, but you're not free internally. Ours is a world in which people would celebrate their external freedom, but they're not experiencing internal freedom. Right, in the land of the free, how are people doing? They're depressed, they're suicidal, they're angry, 
They're self-medicating. They're frustrated. They're hurting. They're broken. They're beat up. That's not internal freedom. And the most important freedom is eternal freedom. Because even if you feel like you're living free externally and internally when you die, if you're not living free eternally, it's all in vain because forever is a very long time. And these people are having their holiday and they're celebrating their external freedom as we are having our holiday and celebrating our external freedom. But Jesus wants to remind them of internal freedom and eternal freedom. And let me tell you this, freedom is not the freedom to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is the freedom to do what God made you to do. We're not free from God, we're free to God. We're not free for rebellion, we're free for relationship. And our world tends to think that freedom is freedom to run away from God, not to walk with God, to rebel against God, not to have a relationship with God. And freedom in the Bible is having a relationship with God where you become the person that God intends for you to be. Amen? So Jesus says all of this openly and publicly, and they're a little offended by it. But it really comes down to freedom. And then he's going to talk, Jesus is, about him delivering us from slavery which is the opposite of freedom, to sin, to religion, to the demonic, and ultimately to death. And so Jesus sets you free, firstly, from slavery to sin. John 8, 33 through 38. They answered him. They're arguing with him. Some of you argue with God. You argue with the Bible. You argue with Christianity. Jesus loves you. He's patient. He'll hang in there, but they keep arguing with him. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. So you go to these people and say, okay, where does your hope reside? They say, you know what? There is this long line of people that God prefers and favors. They all descend from a guy named Abraham, and we happen to be born into the right family. We're God's favorite special people. We're offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. Is that true? No, if you know the Bible at all, that's not entirely true. Egyptians, Babylonians, Assyrians have enslaved God's people in the Old Testament. At this point, they're under the rule of the Roman Empire, which is godless. So they're not totally free. Here's what you need to know. If you do not deal with reality, you will start rewriting history. Right? And this is what God's people did, even back to this celebration of the deliverance and the days of the Exodus. God set them free, but they didn't live free. Even as they're wandering in the wilderness, God's people were thinking, oh, remember the good old days when we were slaves. They start to re-envision history. They start to make for themselves idols, the most famous of which is a golden calf, to worship because you know what? You can be free externally, but you need to be free internally. And what they're doing here is they're rewriting history. Some of you have done that. Some of you have met Jesus and you've sort of reinterpreted the past. You're like, oh, I remember the good old days when I was not a Christian. Those are not good days. Some of you, I remember the good old days when I was single and now I'm married. No, those were not good old days. There's a reason you got married. Right, what we tend to do is we tend to rewrite history when we don't deal with reality. That's what they're doing. We've never been slaves. Like, what are you talking about? You've been slaves at various times. The whole holiday you're celebrating is because you were freed from what? Slavery. We tend not to use this language in our culture because our culture is secular. Theirs was spiritual. Here's the language we use instead. Addiction. Addiction. Slavery. Slavery is someone or something rules over you. And in our culture, we call that addiction. And in their culture, they call that slavery. How is it that you say we will become free? Free from what? Free to what? 
Let me tell you this. Jesus, here's how Jesus works. He sets you free from something so you can be free to someone. That's the biblical definition of freedom. To be free from some things so you can be free to, free to someone. It's about relationship with him. They don't get this. They're like, we're doing fine. Our thing is working. Jesus says it doesn't work for me. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Are these decent people, moral people, religious people, spiritual people, good quote-unquote people, yes or no? Yeah. They're saying sinners, we're not, we're the good people. Jesus goes on and says, how do you know that you're a slave to sin by practicing sin? Now, in our culture, we tend not to use the language of sin, but people will have this language instead. They'll say, nobody's perfect, which is our way of saying we're all slaves. It just sounds a lot less offensive to say nobody's perfect than to say everybody's a slave. But that's exactly what we mean. Sin here categorically is the human problem that Jesus comes to deal with. It's the root of all the other problems. Sin is a condition and an action. Sin is commission where we do a bad thing. It's omission where we don't do a good thing. Sin includes your thoughts because God knows your thoughts. It includes your words because God hears your words. It includes your deeds because God sees your deeds and the motive of your heart because you can even do a good thing with a bad motive. So the Bible says, who can look at God and say, I'm clean, I'm holy, I'm pure, I'm without any sin? Nobody. Some of you would say, I am not a slave to sin. Then Jesus would say to you, prove him wrong by never sinning again. And you would say, well, I can't be perfect. That just proves his point that you are a slave to sin. That sin rules over you, you don't rule over it. If you ruled over it, you could stop sinning. Since it rules over you, you can't stop sinning. Even if you're moral, even if you're spiritual, even if you're religious, even if you're devout. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son, Jesus, the son of God sets you free, you'll be free indeed. What he's talking about here is identity and activity. And he uses this juxtaposition. See if you caught it. Slave, son. Slave, son. What's the difference between a slave and a son in that culture? Well, in that culture, in the Roman Empire, a large percentage of people were slaves. And a slave had no legal rights. You could beat your slave, you could harm your slave, you could assault your slave, you could sell your slave, you could kill your slave, your slave had no rights. A son had rights. A slave wasn't allowed in the house because they weren't part of the family. A son was in the house because they were a member of the family. When the head of house dies, the slave gets no inheritance, the son receives an inheritance. Some of you women will hear this and you'll be offended. Let me correct that for you. He was not denigrating, but he was rather elevating the status of women among God's people. Because in the culture, the son would get the inheritance, not the daughter. The son could own land, not the daughter. The son could testify in court, not the daughter. By putting men and women, the sons and daughters of God, in the category of son, he is elevating, Jesus is elevating women and he's saying, the women get all the same rights and dignity and value and inheritance as the men. The women would have heard this and said, well, that's new. 
Because in the culture, we don't get the same rights and we don't get the same uh, receptivity. But according to the kingdom of God, we have the same rights and we receive the same inheritance. It elevated the position of women. So when you ladies hear this, I don't want you to be offended. I want you actually to be instructed. Say, oh, so I'm valued equally to the men. Absolutely, that's what Jesus is saying. Now, here's the point. Let me ask you this question. What comes first, your identity or your activity? This is a crucial question. If your activity precedes your identity, then you are what you do. Okay? So let's say your identity precedes your activity or your activity precedes your identity. Let me pick it up this way. Let's say that your activity determines your identity. What you do is who you are. If, if you're a slave to sin, then your identity is slave and you are just a guilty, filthy sinner. And there's no hope for you. There's no change for you. Our culture has come to this conclusion. And as a result, people say, you need to accept me as I am. You need to celebrate me who as, as I am. You need to tolerate me as I am. I can't change who I am. And someone goes so far as to say, and God can't change them or God doesn't need to change them. We just need to celebrate their identity as slave to their sin. Your activity does not determine your identity. Your identity determines your activity. Okay? If you are a child of God, you're like, you know what? Who I am is determined by God, that means that now I have authority over my sin. I don't have to continue to live that way, think that way, behave that way. God changes my identity, that allows me to change my activity. Who I am is now changed, so what I do is changing. When Jesus calls you, if you are a believer, a son of God, he is changing your identity. He's saying, you are no longer a slave. You're a son. A slave has no power. A son has power. A slave has no authority. A son has authority. A slave's condition and identity and and their status never changes. For a son, everything now changes. And let me tell you this. If you are a slave to sin, then Satan is your master. And what he does, here's how masters rule. Masters rule like this. It's always heavy-handed beatdown. That's a master. If you belong to God, Satan is not your master. God is your father. And masters rule like this and fathers love and lead like this. Some of you are Christians and you still have a slave master mentality with God. He's angry, he's mean, he's non-relational. He's just looking to beat me up, not build me up. And Jesus is saying, don't think like a slave. You're not a slave, you're a son. You don't have a master, you have a father. Your dad is there to build you up, not beat you up. He's there to pick you up, not put you down. He's there to help you to have victory over your sin because what is more powerful than your sin is your dad. It's your dad. Now, you and I hear this, and I hope in you would go, that's amazing. I have a dad who loves me, who wants to build me up, not beat me up. He wants to set me free, not put me in slavery, wants to give me a new identity so I can live a new life. They are offended by this, as some of you may be offended by this, because they have a hard time receiving the bad news that we are sinners before they can receive the good news that Jesus is our Savior. 
Some people say Christianity is too easy because all you got to do is believe in Jesus. It's also very hard because the first thing you got to believe is you're bad and you need Jesus. You need to receive the bad news about you. That's reality. Some of you still think you're good people. You know, I did till I got married and then there was a witness. I mean, you know, <laughs> and I realized I'm not a good person. Amen. So you got to start with, I'm a sinner. That's the bad news. I need a savior. That's the good news. I start as a slave. Only Jesus makes me a son. I start with a master and what I really need is a father. Before you can receive the good news about God's love, you need to receive the bad news about your rebellion. And this works itself out in religion. Jesus says, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. First thing it sets you free from is sin. There are things in your life that you don't need to do anymore. There are ways of believing and behaving that now through God's power, you have the right to walk away from as you walk with Jesus. And one of the first ways that sin manifests itself is in religion. I know that you are offspring to Abraham, Jesus says, John eight thirty seven. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Jesus comes and this is how bad we are. We seek to kill him. I speak of what I've seen with my father. What he says is this, I came down from heaven. I was sent by God the father. I know exactly why I'm here. And what I'm telling you is the truth. And you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham, Abraham is our father. Okay. Some of you think that you're in a right standing with God because of the family you were born into. You're having faith in your father on earth, not your father in heaven. You're having faith in your birth, not your new birth. You're having faith in your physical birth, not your spiritual birth. This is where people say like, I was born into a Christian home. I was born into a believing family. You know, I was born into whatever the case. No, you're, it's not being born. It's being born again. Nobody can stand before Jesus and say, I'm with my dad. It's a single file line. You better say, he's my dad. Okay? Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, here's reality that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. This is going to escalate. This is public. Everybody's watching. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Who are they talking about? His mom, Jesus' mom. This is how bad and ugly it gets. Well, we're going to smear him. Let's go get his mom too. And his dad. Oh, his mom was a virgin. Sure she was, you know, because we know virgins always have kids. She slept with so many men that the paternity of Jesus was a mystery. His dad's an idiot who believed the virgin birth story. His mom is an immoral lying scoundrel of a woman. And of course, he's an idiot and a scoundrel just like his mom and dad. This is in a small town with religious people. And I'm telling you what, when they go after your mom, it's personal, amen? I mean, you can pick on a guy, you pick on his mom. I mean, then it's just a mushroom cloud, octagon, ding, ding. It's not gonna end well, right? They go after Jesus' mom. This is what religion does. Religion shoots anyone and anything that robs them of their control and power. Some of you here, you're like, what are you trying to convert me to a religion? Not at all. Actually, it was the religious people who opposed Jesus and put him to death. Our goal is not for you to find religion, but to have relationship 
with Jesus. They don't have relationship with Jesus, but they do have religion. And sometimes religion is the big obstacle to relationship with Jesus because religion is man-made and relationship is God-given. You're doing the same. They said, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Who are they saying that to? God. God. See, religion even disagrees with God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. How do you know that God is your father? You love Jesus as the son of God, your big brother. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you do not bear to hear my word. Well, just a couple of notes. Religion focuses on your birth. Jesus focuses on your new birth. Religion focuses on your earthly father. Jesus focuses on your heavenly father. Religion trusts in what you do. We're good people. We come from a good family, right? Jesus wants you to focus on what he has done, living without sin and dying on the cross in your place for your sins and rising from death as your savior. Religious people stand before God with their resume. Here's what I've done. Jesus wants you to stand before God and point to him as your resume. Religion sees the world in two categories. Bad people, good people. And what side are the religious people on? We're the good people. And hmm, look at all those bad people. They've just drawn a line. And what side do they have Jesus on? The bad people. Uh, Jesus, the good people are over here. There's a line. The bad people are over there. Um, you're over there with the bad people. And so's your mom. Some of you would say, yes, that's why I'm not religious. Well, be very, very careful. You just drew a line. And uh, you're on the side judging all the religious people, which means actually you're on the other side of the line as one of the religious people. You see how tricky this is. The problem with religion is not that it's not serious, but it's too serious about itself and it's not serious enough about Jesus. So here's how we become religious. We draw a line and there are good people and bad people and we're always on the line of the good people. We do this young, old, rich, white, Black, poor, Democrat, Republican. We find all these ways to say, here's a line, good people over here, bad people over there. God would say, there is a line, bad people over here, which is everyone and good people over here. Jesus with a lot of extra room because he's all by himself. It's not a real crowd. Once you think biblically, that helps to negate thinking religiously, which means you and I were over on the bad people side. Anytime you and I start thinking we're the good people, they're the bad people, we're thinking religiously, not biblically. We're all bad. I need Jesus. They need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Over there is Jesus, and he's all by himself. And I don't get to cross the line and stand next to him and say, well, it's me and Jesus. We're the good guys, and we judge all the bad guys. And here's the problem with religion. It has a mind that will not learn and a heart that will not change. Some of you would say, If Jesus would just show up, I'd believe in him. If Jesus would just do a miracle for me, I would believe in him. If Jesus would just answer my questions and objections, I would believe in him. He did. And how's it going? 
even if Jesus showed up in your life, came down from heaven, answered your questions, and performed his miracles. If your mind is unteachable, and if your heart is unchangeable, none of that matters. And the problem is not that Jesus has not made himself known. It's that you have not responded for a relationship. Jesus saves from sin. We all have sin, right? Jesus saves from religion. We're all prone toward religion. Uh, next thing that Jesus saves from, he saves from the demonic. He sets you free from the demonic. By demonic, I mean Satan, demons, darkness, evil, injustice, oppression. It is personal. It is spiritual. It is this biblical understanding that the world that we do see is, it, it is affected by a world that we do not see. There is this battle going on behind the curtain between God and the angels and Satan and the demons, and it manifests itself with injustice in the world. John 8, 44 through 47, he says, You are of your father, the devil. Jesus here is very offensive. You need to see that, okay? Like, he couldn't, like if he presented this in college, uh, this would not go well in the you know, diversified religious studies department. Well, they have their thing and they have their thing. And he's like, no, they all have the same dad, the devil, which is sort of a negative thing to say about a guy's mom. Did your mom date the devil? All right, like, so you're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Satan's bilingual, but when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He is a liar and the father of lies. But I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. This is a crazy statement. Jesus openly, publicly in front of a crowd at the temple on the holiday says, who here can point out any sin in my life? How many of you would not make this statement? I wouldn't. You'd Google me and prove me wrong. I mean, it's just like, wow. Here's what Jesus is saying. I've never done anything wrong. You need to know, my friend, this is a big statement. We tend to think that the most holy people are the most humble people, and they admit all their faults, flaws, and failures. Well, Jesus is humble, and he's telling us the truth. He has no faults, flaws, or failures. Jesus is what we're supposed to look like and live like. Anywhere that we deviate from him, we are in sin. You need to know as well that no other major world religion or spiritual movement has as its founder declaring themselves to be sinless and God. Jesus' claim is unprecedented, it is without precedent or peer. He goes on. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? It's because they have their own reality. They have their own truth. They have their own perspective, which is wrong. Whoever's of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. These are religious people that have taken the day off to come to the temple, to celebrate the holiday, to thank God for their freedom. And God shows up and says, you don't know God. You can have religion and not have God. And some of you, some of you, you you'll say this. You'll, I, I love you, but you'll say, you know, nobody has the right to judge me. Jesus is like, actually, I will. He's judging them, amen? You don't know God. Jesus, you don't know my heart. Yes, I do. Yeah. Jesus, who are you to judge? God, I'm creator. Like I, 
rock, paper, scissors, Jesus, right? He, he wins. Like he's in charge. You need to come to reality. Someone needs to be an authority other than you. Jesus says, listen to me. You don't know God. You're like, how do you know? Because I'm God. And I don't know you and you don't know me. And you're trying to murder me and I'm trying to bring life to you. So let me say this. We tend to have this myth in American culture. It's pervasive of the lone, rugged, independent individual, right? John Wayne, the Lone Ranger, Rocky Balboa, Han Solo, whatever, right? Not that anybody's watching that movie, but we're all independent. And God sees us not as independent, but as actually one of two groups. Here's what Jesus is saying. There are two fathers, Satan and God the Father. There are two families, those who are children of the devil and those who are children of God. They speak two languages. They lie or they tell the truth. They pursue either dark desires or light desires. That they bring either death or life. And they go to hell or heaven. If I made this clear. I mean, Jesus is so clear on this. So let me ask you this. The world that we live in, this land of the free, how's it going? Will, what are people's desires? Is it for holiness and godliness and obedience? No, because we're slaves to our sin. Well, how about murder? Are we a deathly culture? It struck me today. This week, my kids get out of school. I got five babies. Uh, two of them are taller than me, so they're still my babies. <laughs> I cannot fathom a world in which we have the freedom to kill our babies. We're free to murder your blessing? My kids are my blessing. I kiss them on the head. You're my blessing. You're my blessing. You're my... I don't want to murder my blessing. I want to bless my blessing. Okay, this is not political. This is practical. And if you've done that, God can and will forgive you. And he is a God of grace. But we live in this weird world where it's like, my desires are for sin and we murder our kids. Freedom! This is crazy. The world has lost its mind. This is demonic. This is evil. This is satanic. God is the living God. He's not the the God of insanity and death. You say, well, I disagree. Well, it's because you don't even believe in the truth. And we say, well, I have somebody I'll quote the disagree. Well, they're a liar. All you're doing is proving my point. Well, they have a degree. Well, I don't care if they got more degrees than Fahrenheit. If they're a liar, it's wrong. You know, I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. What this means is that the whole world is darkness, not light. It's evil, not good. And let me tell you this. When Jesus comes back and all is said and done, and all we have is the kingdom of God, people aren't going to do what they're doing. They're not going to celebrate what they're celebrating. They're not going to tolerate what they're tolerating. And they're not going to be lying. And they're not going to have their desires corrupted. And they're not going to be killing each other. Reality is the kingdom of God. Everything else is darkness and worldliness and death. And it's demonic. And you and I, we're all susceptible. We got to think, I got to renew my mind. 
I need, I need to be conformed by the word of God. I need to be transformed rather by the word of God, not conformed by the world in which I live. This world, friends, it has lost its mind. And if you don't know that, you're not paying attention. And it's demonic and it's satanic. And here's what I want to tell you. People are broken because Satan doesn't bring life. People are in bondage because Satan doesn't bring freedom. People are hopeless because Satan doesn't bring hope. This world is not working and everyone needs Jesus. And there is only freedom in relationship with him. And it happens internally. Oh, I get new desires. I see the truth. I love Jesus. What am I doing? I need to change. Right? And it culminates eternally. I just want to be with Jesus forever. And I'll be so glad when this is all over. I look at the world and I just think, these poor, precious people that are made in the image and likeness of God. Their desires are for self-destruction. Satan beats them as a master. They run into darkness. They love lies. And they are all about death. I just think, oh, these precious people that God made and God loves. This is not why he made us. And this is not who we are supposed to be. He frees from this. Jesus does. Jesus does. He also sets free from slavery to death. Sin, religion, the demonic, and death. There is death because there is sin. Death is the incontrovertible evidence that sin has entered the world. For the wage of sin is death. The reason we all die is because we all sin. Death is the problem. Amen? We're all going to die. I hate to tell you, death is coming for you. Right? Some of you, you're drinking purified water. You're going to die full of purified water. Death is coming for you. Now you're like, but I eat vitamins. Okay, you will die full of vitamins and purified water. You're like, but I jog every morning. Well, you're trying to outrun hell. I'm telling you, it's coming for you and you're going to drop dead full of purified water and vitamins running. Okay, death comes for us all. All have sinned. And death is the grand equalizer. And you can fight reality. You can deny reality. But eventually you have to deal with reality. That we are sinners. That we will die. And that we will give an account. And it will not be to a mirror. Jesus says it this way. The Jews answered him. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They don't back down. Right? You got to give it to religious people. They're wrong. But they're strong. Right? That's how religion works. Are we not right in saying that you, a Samaritan, the Samaritans were people that convoluted their religion. They started a cult. They had another temple. They sacrificed their children to demon gods. And the Samaritans like Jesus are like, oh, the Samaritans like him. It must be a Samaritan. That's a slam. It's a slander. It's a slur. And they're telling God that he's demon possessed. Ugh. Ugh. It just gives us such a headache. I'm so glad they didn't have Twitter. I couldn't even imagine what would happen at this point. Like... Hashtag demon possessed Jesus. You know, like, really? Like, well, if he has a demon, who's going to cast that out? Like, we have a real problem on our hands. Is Jesus demon possessed? Well, that was not very clear. I've not done a good job. Okay. No, he's not demon possessed. But what they're doing, they're saying, you have power, but it's the power of Satan, not the power of God. Jesus answered, I, can't, I mean, 
Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry you even had to do this. I do not have a demon. I mean, I was like, really? He's got to answer that question, you know? Uh, CNN here, Jesus, do you have a demon? Uh, no. Okay, back to you. I mean, it's just, but this is how, this is how the world, the world still says horrible things about Christ and Christianity and the Bible. It's totally misrepresented. It's nothing new. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Oh, some people will say, I believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I follow God. I follow Jesus. Um, Jesus says, you don't belong to me. You don't belong to him. You don't listen to me. You're not listening to him. You don't obey me. You're not obeying him. Right? We work together, the father and the son. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Here's the issue. Everyone lives for their own glory. What's in it for me? Will I win? Will I benefit? What will people think of me? Social media is all about presenting yourself as if the resurrection had already happened and you're in the kingdom of God and everything is awesome, right? Nobody ever wakes up, takes a selfie. Here I am, new zit, I'm bloated, I'm gassy, and my dog hates me, you know? Hashtag real me, right? Like, Nobody does that. They're like, I'm going to put my makeup on and, you know, I'm going I'm to present my, oh, here's where, I, oh, life is amazing. Everything is great. What we're trying to do is present ourselves in the best possible light so that we get glory. We get glory. You need Jesus. So you can go to heaven. Oh, I don't need Jesus. I already live in heaven. Have you seen my Instagram? I live in heaven. Everything's perfect. My kids are obedient. My dog is well-groomed. My waistline is trim. My flatulence smells like roses. <laughs> we'll edit that out. But um, it's glory. What Jesus says is, I'm not thinking about myself. It's just whatever is good for the Father. Jesus is saying, you know what? I don't care about my reputation, I care about his. I don't care about how my life goes. I care about my life honoring him. Let me say, there is great freedom when you can potentially reach a place that God's glory is more important than your own. And you can surrender your reputation and you live to glorify God. And then when you die, you let God glorify you. In the meantime, don't worry about any glory. That's what Jesus is saying said, I glorify the Father and he will glorify me. You know what? In this moment, Jesus is not going to be honored or glorified, but he doesn't fight. You should respect me. You should honor me. Do you not know what I've done for you? I made the planet. You're welcome. What he says is, you know what? I'll just do what's right. And one day I'll let the Father make it right. Some of you have been used. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been abandoned. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have been slandered. Some of you have been robbed. Some of you have been lied about. And what you just need to do is say, okay, I just want to live for God's glory. And when all is said and done, I want God to set the record straight. And until then, I'll just be patient. That's what Jesus is saying. This is amazing. There's no one like Jesus. Um, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Okay, here's the issue. That's a big claim, amen? Amen. You can beat death. Nobody beats death. Death beats everybody, right? Death always comes. 
Jesus is saying, you're a sinner. I know you're a sinner because you die. I forgive sin. I defeat death. Wow. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. (laughs) They don't say, oh, that's interesting. Could you expand on that? How could we receive eternal life? They're fighting against God. Some of you are fighting against God. He's trying to save you and you're trying to kill yourself. He's trying to give you life and you're arguing for death. That's what we do. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you think you are? Jesus, are you greater than Abraham? Yes. Well, the prophets all died. Are you greater than the prophets? Yes. 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 Jesus, I got good news for you. Jesus defeated death. The worst thing is not to die. The worst thing is to die without Jesus. The Bible says for those who die, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's an upgrade. So actually dying for the believer is a gift to where we leave the sinful world and all of its implications and complications and we become the people that God intended and destined for us to be with a relationship that really heals all of our hurts and fixes all of our problems. What he's talking about here is eternal freedom. Eternal. Eternal freedom. When you die, are you going to go to the debtor's prison of hell or are you going to go into the kingdom of God? And he closes with this. Jesus sets free from slavery to fear. Let me ask you this question, just be honest. If you were Jesus at this moment, would you be afraid? Jesus, we are going to slander your family. They're all going to get it. They're done. And Jesus, you you are going to be publicly opposed. We're going to destroy your reputation. And then we're going to kill you. There's only two ways to live your life, in faith or in fear. If you live your life in fear, you will not live in the will of God. If you live in faith, you can live in the will of God. Jesus here has to make a decision. Will he be driven by fear or faith? And here's here's how he says it. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I have known him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Here's what he's saying. So you're going to kill me and slander my family unless I say, oops, I'm a liar. And then my life will be pleasant. You'll just let me go. Jesus says, you're a liar and you want me to lie. Some of you know people like this. They're lying and they want you to lie. Otherwise, they're going to punish you. Jesus says, you can lie. I can't lie. I can't join you in the lie. The truth is, he's God and he's Savior. He's come down from the Father on a mission to seek and to save and to serve. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. What they're saying is, we look to Abraham. And Jesus says, well, Abraham was looking to me. So why are you looking to Abraham? 
If Abraham was looking to me, why are you not looking to me? Well, Jesus is saying that all of history and all of scripture is ultimately all about him. He saw it and was glad. Story of Abraham, I'll just hit it briefly. Way back, I think it's Genesis 12. He's just a pagan guy, stuck in sin, religion, demonic. God shows up, saves him. He leaves everything that he knows and he journeys forth in faith. Leaves his father's home, leaves his family, ventures forth in faith. He becomes the father of those who walk by faith, not by sight. God made a promise to Abraham, through you will come a son who will be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Problem, they're old and his wife is barren and they have no children. And then they get a son. Fast forward to Genesis, I think it's 22. God says, take this son, the son of the promise, the son of the blessing, the son through whom will come the blessing of the nations of the earth and sacrifice him. How many of you got a kid? And you're like, I, I can't even get my mind around this. His son at this point is an adult. He is going to be sacrificed. So he, the son literally carries the wood on his own back, follows his father in submission and surrender to his place of sacrifice, willingly lays himself down on the wood that he carried. The father is going to slaughter his son, his only son, through whom is to come the blessing to the nations of the earth. God stops him and says, it will be provided. This is a picture that another father will have another son who will carry the wood on his own back and lay down his life to sacrifice himself. For sinners. Where did all of that happen? In the same area that they are meeting and having the holiday. Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. He is the blessing to the nations of the earth. He is the promised and chosen son of God. And he is the one who carried the wood to lay down his life for the forgiveness of sin. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? The eternal God was around long before Abraham and his name is Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He, he tells us then, not only in Genesis, am I the God who came to save Abraham? I'm the God who delivered your people, the nation, in the days of Moses, in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. Their whole holiday was to remember Father Abraham and deliverer Moses. Moses was leading God's people when they were in slavery and bondage. They were not free to worship God in Egypt. God shows up, speaks to him through a burning bush, says, go tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses obviously understands this is going to be complicated. Dear most religious, devout ruler of the earth who's worshiped as a God over the most preeminent, long-standing nation state in the history of the planet, Pharaoh, let the millions of slaves go because the bush demands it. Right? And so Moses is like, I'm going to need more than thus saith the bush. Right? I'm going to, so Moses is like, before I go tell the Pharaoh this great freedom plan, who should I say has sent me? And God speaks through the bush and says, tell them I am has sent you. 
Jesus says, Father Abraham was looking forward to me. And I'm the one who told Moses to lead the people of God into the freedom to worship God. That's me. That's Jesus. So, (laughs) they pick up stones to stone him. That's it. We got to kill this guy. If you're here today and you have a problem with Jesus, you, you just write your objection. Some of them, he's proud, he's arrogant, he's divisive, he's controversial. He says he's greater than Abraham. He says he's the God who spoke to Moses. He says that we have a sin problem. He says that our religion is corrupt. He says the way that we think and desire and speak is demonic. Um, He says he can beat death. Well, we'll see. My encouragement to you, put your rock down. Don't take your objection to Jesus and throw it at him. Put it down and trust in him. What is amazing here, they pick up stones to put Jesus to death. Why would you put Jesus to death? Because he said he's God. You know why Jesus says he's God? He's God. Okay? But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. God is hiding in his own house from the people that he made because they are going to murder him because he came to lovingly save them. This shows how bad we are and how good Jesus is. I love you. My job is to tell the truth. Your job is to make a decision. Jesus ultimately does die. They murder him. What does Jesus say from the cross? Father, forgive them. Are you kidding me? That's Jesus. Jesus sets you free from slavery to sin. Jesus sets you free from slavery to religion. Jesus sets you free from slavery to the demonic. Jesus sets you free from slavery to death. And Jesus will set you free from slavery to your fears. Who or what are you afraid of? Jesus says that you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Jesus is going to tell us a little later, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth will set you free, and Jesus is the truth. And he's the one who sets free. If you have never given your life to Jesus and your sin to Jesus, this is the day you should put down your rock, and you should begin to believe in Jesus and walk with Jesus. If you're here and you're a Christian, you may be living in untruth lies. And as a result, you're not experiencing the full freedom that God would have for you as his sons and daughters. Um, I wrote down some things and I just want to share them with you as we invite the band up. Because freedom is freedom to worship God. And now we're going to exercise our freedom by worshiping God. But as the band is preparing, just for a brief moment, please give me your listening. Once you close your eyes, and if you're a believer, raise your hands just upward. Just put your palms up to receive. Please close your eyes. God wants you to know that you are 
someone that he loves and that he is a father and not a master. He doesn't come to beat you up. He comes to pick you up. He doesn't come to tear you down. He comes to build you up. You need to know that God's heart toward you is a father's heart. It's a loving heart. It's a gracious heart. It's a forgiving heart. You need to know that God the Father had you in his heart and on his mind before the world was made. You need to know that this world is a gift that the Father has given you as a child of God. And it's for worship, not sin. It's for freedom, not slavery. He wants you to enjoy your life and the things and people that he gives to you. The Father wants you to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he is what a normal person is supposed to look like. And his desires are normal desires and his truth is normal speech. That Jesus lived the life that you've not lived, that he died the death that you should have died, and he gives the gift you cannot earn. That the Father loves you so much that he sent his Son to take away your sins so you could be free to have a relationship with him, a relationship that is internal. So he wants you to give him your sin, your burdens, your fears, your hurts, your regrets, your shame, your condemnation, whatever is slowing you down and holding you back. He wants all that transferred to Jesus so that you can be free to take his hand and walk with him like a little girl does with her dad or like a little boy does with her dad. The father wants you to know that he wrote a book called the Bible and it's a series of love letters to the children of God. The father wants you to know that if you've had a master slave relationship with him, it's ungodly, it's unbiblical and it's unhelpful. He wants to have a father-son, father-daughter relationship with you where you work from the relationship, not for the relationship. For those of you that have sinned and strayed, there's foolishness, there's rebellion. The father needs you to know that his heart for you has unchanged. Your behavior toward him may have changed, but his heart for you is unchanged. He loves you. He welcomes you. He's there to forgive you. He's there to clean you up, pick you up. He's there to embrace you. He's there to kiss you on the head and hold your hand and walk you away from the death and destruction that you were choosing. The Father wants you to know that any sin or struggle you have, He is more powerful, He is victorious, and Jesus can set you free from it. And the Father wants you to know that He's got a home for you and all the children of God, and that He wants you to begin to walk in that internal freedom so that one day you can experience that eternal freedom where the sin is no more, the shame is no more, the regret is no more, the haunting is no more, the condemnation is no more. All there is is light and love and joy and peace in the presence of Jesus, the Son of God, who is the light of the world. Holy Spirit, please help these people to receive the truth. And his name is Jesus. And please allow them to experience the freedom that Jesus gives. Because if we believe in the truth, the truth sets us free. Free to worship you, which we do now in Jesus' name. Amen.